It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. And Steve Peters. Welcome into episode 285 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Luke Lipinski alongside Greg Morgan. The no-cal natty hattie. Oh, fancy. And Steve oh. Peters. Welcome in. Yeah, Craig Craig on vacation, airbnb in it through Cali. Nice. This is, uh, Craig, is this your 10th vacation of the year, or how, how does this work? I've lost count, Luke, really. I think yeah. every day in the Craig Morgan house is a vacation, isn't it? Like to, uh, you know, I like to visit the homes that we own around the world once in a while, <laughs> keep tabs on them all. So. so is Phoenix, is that actually your primary home, or is that just one of your homes that you traveled to? I don't really want to call any one place uh, my home, Luke. I don't want to offend anyone, you know, okay. with everyone, wherever I am. Yeah, that makes sense. You don't, you don't, want, to, you don't want to overcommit. The life I'm of just, a journalist. Just wondering if you have like a, a, a NorCal Coyotes Insider website and like uh, a Colorado Coyotes Insider website, but I guess we'll find out. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, still time. All right, guys, let's uh, let's start with the uh, let's start with the Stanley Cup, which is technically not over yet. Uh, as we record, it is three zero Tampa. Um, I found a couple things interesting. Uh, Montreal Twitter turning on Carey Price as if it's his fault, and. Uh, I really enjoyed, this was really more so last series, but it's, uh, it's looking more absurd now. Montreal Twitter comparing Philip Deneau to Mark Stone. One of, <laughs> like, what, what, what did I miss? I think, didn't Deneau just get his first goal of the playoffs in game three? Yes. Yeah. So you can go ahead and start with either one of those. I, I think the fact start that, with, you know, Beth, he's a good defensive forward. I guess you can make that comparison, but yeah. Uh, a part of his game is missing if you want to compare him to Mark Stone. <laughs> yeah, the part where he puts up like 70 points a season. That part. I am concerned about the Carey Price thing from the, the fan side. You know, honestly, if you go look at every goal that's been scored in this series, there's been so many pucks that one Price hasn't seen. Turnovers tight around the net. Bounces off players. Like, it's just been one of those series where it's just been really bad luck for the Montreal Canadiens. And Tampa's clearly dominated play. Clearly, except for the first, was it the, the first 10 minutes? Was it game two? The first 10 minutes of game two where Vasilevsky was out of his mind. Um, so you do have to give the goalie nod to Tampa. Um, I just think Montreal's out of gas. I just think, you know, Cinderella's home, midnight struck. They went as far as they could go and the wind's out of their sails and they're just trying to survive right now. But we were told this wasn't a fluke. <laughs> yeah. <All right. laughs> but, yeah. Wow. He's a straight face. It was a long time coming with Montreal. You could see it coming. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you could when you put them in a division with Toronto and Winnipeg and Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary. <laughs> what do you think Vegas and Toronto is saying right now when they, when they're watching the series? Do you think the Vegas Golden Knights ownership and management are looking at this, going, "Why are we not playing in this series? How did we lose? Yeah, how did we lose? I, I think they have to be. I think you know this is going to be a long, hard look in the mirror for for that club specifically. And I know it's a team that's been to the the semifinals three out of four years, but you still look at that's a team that's disappointed in their outcome. And when you watch them this series they they have to believe they should have been there they they were given the team on the platter that they thought they could beat and, and here they're sitting at home watching the series it's got to be devastating for that team because their window honestly is going to start to close agreed how has that team not either won a cup or been to more cups and how about a cup in the last three years i mean vegas has been like, like pd just said they've been to the the conference finals or i guess the semifinals this year three of the four years they've been in existence. So you can't be upset with what they've done, but it's like they over exceeded expectations, certainly that first year. But the second year they had that weird penalty in game seven against the Sharks in the first round. I thought that team was, was better than the inaugural season team. And then last year you end up uh, just missing the Stanley cup against Dallas. And then this year, I, I mean, is, is this something where they've just played so many additional playoff games over the last four years that they run out of gas? Cause there's no excuse to lose to Montreal if you're Vegas in the best of seven series. I think they took it too light. I I think they went into this series going, okay, this is the team we're going to beat. We just have to show up for four games and we'll move on. I I am sure in the room, it took them until they were, you know, backs against the wall, as they say, until I go, oh no, good grief. We could actually lose this series. And I think it was by then it was too late. And it's funny when you talk about expectations of a team, can you imagine if the Arizona Coyotes were in the, in in the semifinals three of the last four years? (laughs) There would be ten-year contracts. There'd be parades, and, and in Vegas, it's it's not good enough. It's not good enough. So I yeah, I ask you this: uh, like when when you when you you would know this, you've been in around these things, obviously far more than Luke and I ever have. When you upset a, a team, and I, I guess I can't even call it an upset being Colorado, but I think everybody thought Colorado was going to be in the Cup final. When you overcome, when you slay the giant. Can there be just uh, a little bit of a letdown, an emotional, psychological letdown when you move to the next round, especially when you see a team that clearly is not as good as Colorado? It's absolutely the truth. And, and you can sit there and say it in the media, no, we're not looking past Montreal or no, that, you know, we know that they're a good team. I, it's what you say in the media. It's not what you say in the room. It's not what you feel. You know, one never says it out loud. No one ever says, oh, we, we rolled, we got through Colorado. Now we're going to roll through Montreal. No one says it out loud, but everybody in that room is feeling it from the coaches to the trainers. I, I, it's a feeling that, that, that people thought Colorado was the best team in the NHL all season long. They talked about it preseason. This is the team. They got through Colorado and they go, it's just this big sigh of relief that you, you, you did. You got through that round that you didn't think you'd get to. Now it's Montreal. I mean, it's a team that was 18th. They can't score. They can only defend with great goaltending. We're better. Yeah. And and I, I think it's really hard to approach that. And we've seen this throughout this entire playoffs, how important, you know, momentum is, how important, you know, mentality of a game is and, and, and how you feel as a group. And that's why Montreal was winning because winning breeds winning. And it just kind of rolls and they started to believe. And there's no way that Vegas should not be in this final against Tampa. I mean, it's great for Canadian hockey fans that it's that it's not, but this is where Montreal is. I mean, they, they're hanging on um, against Tampa, and honestly, I don't think Tampa's played their best hockey yet. I want to go back to two points and then hand it over to Luke. I, 
You, Peter, you brought up a really good point about turnovers. Um, Mike Kelly, who does a terrific job for NHL Network and Sport Logic, had a, a graphic today looking at uh, goals scored against within 10 seconds of a turnover uh, against Winnipeg in Vegas in 10 games. That happened to Montreal four times, four goals against uh, uh, in those 10 games. Against Tampa in three games, they've had nine goals scored against within 10 seconds of a turnover. Great stat, which really illustrates what you're talking about. But going back to what you brought up initially, Luke, with Carey Price, it's amazing that you can turn on a guy who is the biggest reason why you have reached the cup final. And, and without him, there's no way you were in the cup final. How do you turn on that guy at this point? It's, it's ridiculous, but it's also the reason I love Canadian hockey teams because they're just so unreasonable sometimes. And it's not all of them, but certainly Montreal and Toronto. I mean, they were freaking out on Carey Price after the first two games, two games in which Montreal had scored two total goals. So were they expecting two shutouts by Carey Price against Tampa Bay? Because that's the only way they're winning those games. And it goes back to what Petey said. This team can't score. It's been this way even even in the playoffs. If they score first, they, I give them a ton of credit for being – a gritty team, and, and this has been a nice run and everything. But, I mean, they don't belong at, at this level with Tampa Bay. They look like they're playing two different sports. And, and look, if you look at their run now, they beat Toronto. I thought that was awesome. Toronto's also kind of head cases when they get in the playoffs. They beat Winnipeg. Okay. I mean, I thought Winnipeg might be better than they were, but it was hard to judge uh, considering everybody at that point was still locked into their divisions. Vegas, I don't know. But uh, Montreal, I mean – we didn't. We haven't done a show since the the cup started, so we didn't offer our predictions. But was anybody giving Montreal more than a five game loss to Tampa? Because no. I, I just, I mean, and it's it's only like I, I mean, are you high on Montreal next year if you're a Canadians fan? I think some people are. I think there are people out there who look at some of their underlying numbers, expected goals, the the, the chances they're creating, and say yes. This was that's where that narrative of this was a long time coming. You could see this coming came from, but I don't buy it at all. I don't buy it at all. We've we've talked about you know nonlinear progression, and I mean this is this is without question the poster team for nonlinear progression next season. I do not think Montreal is anything more than a mediocre hockey team. This was a Cinderella run, and even when you ride a hot goaltender, a lot of teams can ride a hot goaltender and have these Cinderella runs. Rarely do those teams, almost never do those teams, actually go all the way and win the Cup. At some point, the clock strikes midnight, and that team's team's exposed for what they are, an incomplete club. And I don't think this is a team that once the divisions are realigned to, to the way they normally are, I don't think this team makes the playoffs next year, more or less, to the Stanley Cup Finals. You know, and it, 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 there is a chance that they win the game tonight. And I tell you what, it, we talked about managing the puck. Between the blue lines is this entire game tonight. If they can keep it along the wall and keep it out of the hands uh, of the Tampa Bay Lightning, they have a chance. But the bigger issue for tonight's game, I read an article on this this morning, is the mentality and the mindset of the Tampa Bay Lightning winning in Montreal. Their family and the friends were not allowed to cross the border. You're looking at a small crowd of 2,500 in Montreal, knowing that if somehow you lose tonight, you go home to a full stadium with your family and friends and your kids and your wife. I... Of all the games in the series, this is one that Montreal might actually win. And I, I, I keep saying it over again, beating this drum. There's so much to the, the mental side of this game. The Tampa Bay players aren't going to say it. They want to close it out. They want to finish tonight. But there are guys in that room that want to hold the cup with their kid, their wife, their dad, their fans. I guarantee it. So does that slip into their minds and they lose this tonight? I wouldn't be surprised. Montreal by one tonight wouldn't surprise me. 
Boy, that's a slippery slope to go down if you're Tampa Bay, if you even let that creep in your head one game away from the Stanley Cup. Wait, before we move on, Petey, I want to ask you about this, though, what you were saying about Vegas and just how a team can kind of lose their edge after, you know, you beat Colorado, then you get a best of seven against against a team like Montreal. As a coach, can you tell when that's about to happen, even if it's not said? Like, can you tell, like, our guys don't have that edge tonight? You do. You feel it in the room. You feel it when guys get to the rink. You can feel it in the chatter, you know, before and between periods. And it's hard for coaches to manufacture that feeling when it doesn't exist. And it's a challenge for coaches. And it's funny because after Vegas got knocked out, I read the paper the next morning looking to see if Pete DeBoer was in trouble. Um, most organizations would be praising the guy and giving him an extension, but in Vegas, wouldn't have surprised me if some people were in hot water there. So that's, it's hard for a coach to manufacture emotions that don't exist. Before we move on from the cup final, I want to ask you guys this. Petey, you, you brought up the possibility, and I think it's a strong possibility of the Canadians actually missing the postseason next year. Tampa did that after they went to the cup final against the Blackhawks in 2015 and lost. But now that they're on the cusp of winning their second cup in a row, and I think this is uh, this would be like five conference finals in the past six seasons, where do we put this franchise, assuming they close this out, in the recent history of great teams when we're talking about maybe those Blackhawks or the Penguins who, granted, theirs were spread out, but they had incredible consistency, at least in making the playoffs in that whole stretch. Where does Tampa belong in this argument? I think they're right there, aren't they? I mean, Pittsburgh won back-to-back in, what, 16 and 17. That was the first time anybody had won back-to-back since the 90s, and Tampa's going to win back-to-back. Um, I guess I, I don't always buy into the whole argument if it's just like exactly whoever has more rings is instantly the better team. Um, but you're talking about three really good runs here over the last 20 years. So I guess I would still put Tampa third of the three. But the back-to-back – that is that's that coupled with what you just said of the fact that they've been to the conference finals a ton other than that year where they melted down against Columbus. Yeah. I mean, that's they, and the thing is, and this is what I, I found it interesting that people that mainly Canadians fans were overlooking. They just thought they had this huge advantage in net in the series. Andre Vasilevsky is just as good as Carey Price is right now. And, and, and that's showing Tampa can play dirty. Uh, they can, they can score. I mean, they can just put up six goals on you on any given night. Like they can do it a lot of different ways. I'll say this, even, even Pittsburgh's team, some of those years, like that, that uh, year they beat the Sharks, they, I still don't know how they did that defensively. I mean, they were so thin on the blue line. Tampa, in terms of just being well rounded, is, uh, is ridiculous. Yeah. It's funny though, but you, when you put that out there on paper, Craig, you, they do belong clearly because the proof is in the pudding, but, Somehow it doesn't feel like they are. And I, and I don't know why it does. When you look at the Chicago team, do you think a powerhouse offense with def- guys that could defend and their goaltending was just okay? They didn't have that complete mix. And as Craig or Luke alluded to, neither did Pittsburgh. This is the most complete team of the three from goaltending, defense and, and offensive output. But I, I don't know. Psychologically, I don't put them in that same mix right now. Maybe after they win the cup and hoist it again, I will. Does the fact that the last two, you know, both of these cups were during the pandemic and it, you know different divisions, different season, ones in the bubble, ones in a in a strange division, does that take away from it? I, I don't know. Um, but on paper, they're they're just as dynamic or more powerful than than the other two teams we talked about. I don't know if it's because they're not, you know, from an uh, a hockey hotbed? I don't know, but it's, there's something about it is different. It could be that that market thing because remember, one of those Black Box Cups came in a shortened season as well. That yeah, 2012-13 season was shortened, and they just 
I mean, they just basically got hot, and then suddenly the playoffs were there, and they were still on that streak. Yeah. yeah, you just feel that this year, though, that that, and I think from the outset, I've got almost every series wrong that I picked if throughout this entire playoffs. The only thing I did pick is I had Tampa Bay winning the cup. So I, I think that they have been the dominant team throughout this season um, that you could look at with the injuries that they had, and they were still competing. Um, they, they did have it. You know, a goaltender that's a Vesna candidate, that's a great goaltender. I think they had the most complete package of all the teams in the league this year. And again, next year, all bets are off. Divisions are back to normal. Um, it's going to be, I think fans can be excited to see things get, get back to the way they used to be, as it were, and then see how these teams can compete. I'd also like to point out, Craig, uh, Pittsburgh, all three of their cups were full seasons, and there's there's no question you can <laughs> wow. can't, even, can't even look at those wow. and have any sort of uh, asterisks or anything. Um Last thing too on this cup, as as much as we're laughing at Montreal, I love that that in the NHL there is that ability for a Cinderella story. Like I, I don't I don't want to diminish what they did, but no, I mean if you're telling me going forward, I don't have high expectations for Montreal. It, I feel the way I felt about Vancouver last year, and I'm still convinced like Canucks fans think their team is winning the cup this year, like <laughs> tonight. Yeah, Luke, I, but to end that, I, I don't want to d- diminish what Montreal did at all. And not laughing at them at all. They're a team that they overachieved. They, they, they played with their hearts this whole entire playoff season. I, it just finally caught up to them. They're, Tampa's a better team. But yeah. I, to take, you can't take any way as a team and a group from what Montreal has accomplished because they beat some really good hockey teams along the way. So yeah, by no means laughing, but don't look for them to do this next year. No. I, I, I don't see it. Uh, let's go local here. The Coyotes have officially found their new coach. I actually just talked to him earlier today, and uh, and very similar to how Craig has described him. Very, uh, very. I don't know what the word would be, Craig. Like agreeable, excited, just to talk hey, about hockey. Like he's just lively, he's warm. He's he's a great storyteller. I, yeah, I mean, you can you can lock into a conversation with Andre Turini very quickly and and just really enjoy it. And, and obviously, you know, we're reporters, so we like that sort of thing anyway, but he, he can spin yarns with you all day. And that's, it, it's great just talking to him on that level. And that's what you hear about him from the ex players, from the, the assistant coaches, from the executives that work with him as well. It's, he's, he's definitely a guy who builds culture by connecting with people. Yeah. This is, you know, we, we talked about before his name officially came up. Um, we talked about just the sort of coach the Coyotes are probably looking for with a younger team. And you want a guy that's got experience. He's got experience at a lot of different levels. This is obviously his first NHL head coaching job, but he does have experience coaching younger players, certainly at the junior level. And I do, I mean, we don't know what the Coyotes roster is going to look like. So I can't, can't go too deep into the whole like, Oh, you're going to be coaching all these young players. But he, uh, he said, a, he said a few interesting things since he got hired. The one of them where he just, where he will have a set of rules and that's kind of. Those are the rules he's going with. Like he seems like a very, like you said, personable guy, but also a disciplinarian if he needs to be. Yeah. What were your impressions of him in your conversation? I don't know how what you guys talked about when you talked to him. Um, I just, I mean, he seems very excited to do this job. He seems very excited to be able to sink his teeth into it. He knows he's got a couple years with this team. Um, again, it's sort of tough without knowing exactly who the roster is. I would guess he has a slightly better idea than the rest of us do who's going to be on the roster, but obviously a lot is up in the air. Um, but he just seems excited to get started, honestly. And, uh, and he does. He seems like a guy that is 
I mean, he said, and he said this on a couple of occasions now, he's not, you know, if he has a, a team role, it's not for these three players, but not for player, you know, A, B or C or whatever. Like it's, it's for everyone. So I'm interested to see how that plays with this younger group. But, you know, at the same time, that's not a bad thing. No. And there's that classic story from the world junior championship where I think it was, it was Dylan cousins and Kirby doc who were one minute late on the ice for practice and he pulled them aside and, and it was mutually agreed upon as at least we heard it was mutually agreed upon that they would not be practicing that day. So one minute late, I mean, you, as he put it, like when you start to assign feelings to rules, well, okay, which excuse is better than he said, it, it takes a genius to figure out all that out. And I'm not a genius. So you lay one set of ground rules and, and yes, you have to have some, you have to have some intelligence behind those rules. It can't just like, you can't just be black and white. Okay. This rule doesn't make sense, but once you've established those rules, they're in place and everybody will abide by them no matter who they are. Greg, a few things. One, you are in charge of the Natty Hatties pronunciation key for the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes throughout the remainder of this broadcast because you do it. The the role your R is better than anybody I've heard. So you're in charge. And secondly, get him a nickname. Can we call me T? Like, well, he has one. It's Bear. 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 Oh, easy. That easy. See, now that I can say. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting because you go from the last two coaches the Coyotes had, you went from Dave Tippett, experienced, been there, been around the league, um, coached for a very long time. The Coyotes, very methodical, rules-oriented, organizational. You know, you, you knew where you stood with, with Dave Tippett to Rick Tockett, who can command a room – any room he walks into, um, again, he got experienced, won cups, played. Um, I, I don't want to say intimidating, but he, he can be an intimidating inside the coach's room and inside the locker room. Um, this will be interesting to see how this goes. I mean, it, it's nice to talk rules, and I'm, you know, this is how things are going to be. But when he has to go up against Phil Kessel on a game day, we'll see. Things things are different. I mean, I I, I think for this team at this time, having someone that that can bring the group together and kind of us against the world. And we're all in this as a, you know, not, not a friend because I don't think that's the right term, but, but we're all of us, we're battling, we're, we're young and we're going to fight against the, you know, the, the, the central division, the media, the, the powers that be, he's got a chance. And I think that's the approach he's going to have to take to build them, to do it together. Um, I, it's just going to be some feeling out from experienced veteran players and a new NHL head coach because it's not just about coaching. It's not just about here's our system. We're one, two, two through the neutral zone. It's not that. It's what time do we leave in the morning? What time are we going to practice every day? How long are practices are going to be every day? Are we going to practice every day? What are we doing about team meals? You know, is there a curfew? Uh, all of those things play into a season much more on a day-to-day basis than what's our system through the neutral zone. It's it's all of the things that come along with it, and that will be the battleground and, and feeling out for, for a new head coach um, that they'll have to experience some of those things on the fly. I mean, that's why you look at an experienced coach like Phil Housley, who's been a head coach, can be very helpful in this situation, and the staff that he has him surrounded with. You know, you've got experienced people in a lot of those positions that I think will also help. Um but there are going to be days that that he is definitely going to be tested, and it's going to be interesting to see how he comes through it. I think it's a good choice at the, at the right time for this team. Um, I don't know if he would be the guy I'd throw into an experienced bunch looking to win the Cup next year. So as the ownership said, they can all grow together, and I think it's a good plan. 
Yeah, and as you mentioned, we don't know what this roster is going to look like. A guy like Phil Kessel may not be around, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, you'll talk to a lot of coaches who've been a head coach at a different level or they've been an assistant coach in the NHL, and they can talk to people. They can get intel, but they just don't know the experience until they step into that chair. It's completely different when you are a head coach in the NHL. I asked him about this, and listen, there's no way that that Andre can give a – complete answer to this question when I ask what you think are the biggest differences that you're going to face. But I don't think he understands completely yet. One of the things that you brought up, you can build relationships. You can, you can, you can try and build relationships and that's a really good way to get your players to buy in. Obviously, if they know you care about them, but when you have to go lay down the law to that, you know, that nine year veteran who's been around the league and you haven't been a head coach in the NHL yet, are you going to get by in there? I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how he manages that. That's just one of many challenges that he faces as the head coach of the Coyotes. The greater one, and and this is my segue for you, Luke, is what is this roster going to like look like? What is he going to have to work with? Every coach wants to win right now. I don't think the Coyotes want to win right now. Yeah, that's a tough spot. I will, I will say one more thing, too, on, on just that uh, that plan to lay down the the law and have it be consistent for everybody i don't think if he can execute that i don't think that's the worst thing in the world at all in fact i think this team could certainly use that as they uh, as if you're looking to rebuild around a certain core it can't just be oh this guy's making this much money so we can't you know we have to treat him differently than so and so now i agree with both of you that's going to be a little bit tougher to do at the nhl level than it is at the junior level certainly uh as far as the roster i mean where do you want to start i guess Let's start with Kessel because you, you've, you've mentioned him and we've kind of tiptoed around this. I mean, is there a possibility Phil Kessel's not on the Coyotes next year? I think there's a strong possibility that Phil Kessel is not on the Coyotes next year. They just paid his signing bonus or most of it. Um, some, you know, Toronto actually retained part of this salary. So they, they had to pay part of this, but he's only due one million in salary now for the rest of the season. The rest of his money has already been paid out and Toronto's, uh, retain some of that as well. So whoever gets Phil Kessel now is on the hook for 850K for the rest of this contract. That's not much to pay for a guy who can put 20 goals in, in a 56-game season. Granted, Phil comes with a lot of other stuff that you have to decide whether you want to you know introduce that into your roster. But he's really cheap. He can score. And I don't think the Coyotes would mind if Phil Kessel moved on. I don't think Phil Kessel would mind if he moved on. So I think there's a really good chance this happens. Yeah, I don't think he fits here anymore. I, I, I think, uh, you know, you see the rebuild is on. They're going younger. You see what the plan is. And, and Phil Kessel isn't that uh, come in that mold. But I think where does he go? He's got to go somewhere that's ready to win next season. He's got to be a guy that, you know, he's got to be willing to play a different diminished role than he's had here in Arizona. He's not going to be out on the first power play. Um, his ice time is going to be diminished, but he still is a threat to score. I, I can see on a second power play, third line on a team ready to win for 800 grand. Yeah, somebody will take a chance on that for sure. For sure they will. But you have to have a strong locker room with leader, veteran leadership to be able to, to have him fit into the group. The thing I can't figure out is what's the return? What can the Coyotes expect in return for Phil Kessel? Yeah, that was the question I was just going to ask you. So now we're just at an impasse because I, because, okay. you know, I, if you're, if you're looking to move pieces to open up roster spots and to free up some money and to get prospects or picks back, 
that's great, but I don't want to just give Phil Kessel away for nothing because he was your leading goal scorer last season. If I, if I would at least like to get a prospect or a pick back or something, but look, you're not getting the first round pick for Phil Kessel at this point in his career. So people should not expect that. Yeah. The return isn't going to be what Coyotes fans want it to be or for the organization. You know, if you were talking before, you wanted to lose players like that because you wanted to free up the salary. Well, that's not an issue anymore. Is it ice time? Can you get a younger player or a prospect that ice time that he's taking up? Maybe. But you're right. If you're looking at such a small, you know, monetary expense, can, can you can you find a place for him? Because you got to still play. You still got to play 82 games. So, so do you put a guy out there that might be able to score you 18 to 22? Gosh, it would be nice. You know, you give you a chance to win at least. Um, there won't be much of a return for Phil Kessel right now. There just won't be. And I think part of that is, you know, the marketplace post pandemic, it's, it's a tough marketplace. So I'm not sure what his, what he will draw in return. I still think they'll try to move him. Um, just because I, I think they do want to go younger, faster, and that's the direction they're headed. So I, I think they'll still try to move him. I just don't think they'll get the return that either fans or management wants. Uh, next name on this list, uh, I have five that we're going to go through. So we went through Kessel. Christian Dvorak, how much of this is teams just wanting Christian Dvorak? Because when you're not asking him to be your number one center, that's still a pretty good piece. You know, assuming he gets back to winning faceoffs the way he was prior to this season, um, he does a lot of good things and he doesn't cost a lot of money. Ideally, he's not your number one center, but, uh, but you know, there's a lot of teams that would use him as their two or their three on a legitimate contender right now. The only argument that I can see for moving Christian Dvorak are he's 25. If the Coyotes timeline is three to four years out, does it make sense to move a guy out like that who maybe is going to be sliding out of his prime around the time you're emerging? I don't know because he can still do a lot of good things for you. If Christian Dvorak is playing in the right role, which in my mind is as your number three center, He's on the perfect contract. He's producing as he should as a number three center. I mean, he checks all the boxes as a number three center. And to be honest, that's why there's so much chatter about him every offseason. There are a lot of teams that want him. I think the Minnesota Wild are interested in him yet again this summer and, and seeing if, if that's a possibility. He's an attractive piece. I To me, that's not the guy you move. I think that's one of the pieces that you want around that you can slide it. If you can slide him into the correct role, I wouldn't be looking to move him, but I, I understand why there's a market for him. Every year this conversation comes up. And I, I think for the last five years, I mean, it's, it's, it's every season we talk about is Christian Dvorak leaving because he does just enough. He plays well at both ends. He plays 200 feet, does the right thing, keeps his mouth shut, puts up a few goals and plays hockey the right way. So, very attractive at the at the dollar amount you have him for under his contract. A lot of teams want him, but it goes back to two things. One, can you get a return for him? I think maybe you can get a, you'll get a player back. But again, you got to put twenty guys on the ice for eighty-two games. And why would you give up on Christian Dvorak right now? I'd keep Christian Dvorak. I know he may not be the guy getting you across the finish line in three, four years, um, but someone's got to get you on the field during those three and four years. And I think Christian Dvorak's a guy that trains the right way, eats the right way, prepares the right way. And as a quiet leader in the room, I keep him around. Uh, I think you're going to need, we've always talked about the Coyotes up the middle of the ice and he does bring some consistency to that position. Um, I hope from 
the fan base that, that he's a guy that does stick around because he does quietly keep some of this together inside the room. So I think he's a piece that stays. Yeah. I in, Look, my stance is always going to be, if you have a guy that could be a borderline elite number three center, I'd love to just go find the number one or number two center and push him down your lineup. I know that's a lot uh, easier said than done, but I, I do wonder he's probably one of the guys that would get you the most return. But what I would say about Dvorak is, he does a lot for you, kind of like you guys just said. I don't think if you held on to him to the trade deadline or even into next summer, his value is going down. So, right. I mean, I'm not trading Dvorak unless somebody comes at me with a really impressive offer and I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, we're not going to win this year anyway. And we, you know, we would be silly to pass this up. Otherwise, as far as I'm concerned, Dvorak's staying and, and somebody's going to have to pry him away from me. Not that it's impossible to do that, but again, his value is not going to be down 12 months from now. Um, all right, this is the other one. This is the guy I really don't want to trade, and uh, and maybe it happens. I don't know. But Connor Garland, I know teams are interested. Uh, they should be. I mean, he's he's been the Coyotes' most dynamic offensive player now for, what, the last two years? Yep. And I maintain this is the sort of guy you have to have to ultimately get over the, the hump and be a, a, a perennial playoff team is you have to have a guy that you took in the fourth or fifth rounds that ends up panning out and, and contributes consistently every year. Craig, I mean, you know, certainly Petey knows better than either one of us. This guy just, he, he lives hockey. Like, I don't I don't want to part with somebody like that unless I'm getting a really nice return. Petey, I'll let you go first on this Well, one. the curious thing here is going to be what kind of a contract does he sign and is he happy? He's a guy that's had a scratch and claw for everything he's received in this league, and I think that's why he has achieved the level of play that he's achieved because he's worked for it. Um, I don't think he's going to get the money he wants. I don't think he's going to get the money he wants from anybody or what he thinks he deserves. So that keeps him hungry. That keeps him working. Uh, he's a piece of the puzzle that you cannot get rid of here in Arizona right now. You can't because one, he scores two. He plays incredibly hard three. The fan base love him. fan favorite fans are going to go through some tough, tough times next season. Maybe not. Maybe this will all, the stars will align and it'll be a great year, but all things are pointing to this could be a tough year. You need things to grab onto as a fan. And Connor Garland is one of those things. When he touches the ice, watch that guy. Something could happen. And, and I think you gotta have that for a team that could have troubles winning on a, on a consistent basis. So I hope he doesn't leave. He's a guy that can help the team. He can help him in the room. We talk a lot about in the room. He's a guy that is liked. Guys like playing with them. They know they're going to get the puck when they play with them, and things are going to happen offensively. And when you play with Connor Garland, you're going to get ice time. So I, I think I think he's a guy that the Coyotes need to try to find a way to sign, and I think they will. I know his name comes up a lot uh, around the league um, with a lot of teams because he does hit that sweet spot. He's not too expensive. He can score goals. And he can play a little bit gritty. I mean, I don't want to say he's a tough player. That's not a fair statement. But he plays gritty, gets gets underneath other players' skin so he can draw those penalties. He can create offense. Um, I think he, he's a guy that is, is coveted because he checks so many boxes. So why can't he check the boxes here in Arizona? I think they'll get a deal done, and I think he plays here. I mean, we live in a world where Montreal just made the Stanley Cup. So if you want to maintain any hope for next season of, of maybe having success and going on a nice run next year, I think Connor Garland's a big piece. Uh, Petey, before he talks, how do you feel about Craig just getting up and leaving in the middle of your, uh, your conversation? I, I, I felt like, I felt like, you know, I know no one sees it because no one watches. I, Craig hasn't even put it up yet. He films it every week, but does nothing with it. When, when he gets some leads, I felt like an actor where they go, stretch it, stretch it, stretch it. I was just about to hand it off to him, gone. 
<laughs> you know, like when the quarterback turns the wrong way and the, the the running back goes the other way. That's what I felt like. Here you go, Craig. And he's gone. I'm I'm waiting till the point where I have enough video of you, PD, that I can actually splice it all together and make you say anything that I want you to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's got to be any day now. I know we probably could. Uh, where's Jamie, by the way? Where's Jamie? I need Who? Jamie's number. <laughs> so, just uh, first of all, like what both of you said about Connor Garland, like I agree with all of that. Like, if if you're going to Strip this down. Okay. I get it. And that, I, honestly, I think it's what the Coyotes need to do. But you got to give fans a reason to come to the arena. I mean, you can't just have, you can have a god awful team and they probably want to have a god awful team, but they probably still want fans in the stands for revenue. So Connor Garland puts butts in the season probably more than any Coyote on the roster with the possible exception of Jacob Chikrin. I'd keep that guy around. In terms of the contract, we, we all know I reported this way back in late May that his agent, Peter Cooney, had sent the Coyotes a couple of proposals, two proposals. Neither one was long in term. Like, we're not talking like six, seven, eight years. And neither one was asking for Clayton Keller money. So he's not looking for that kind of money. Is he going to get something close to one of those proposals? I don't know. Um, I think they're finally, now that now that they've got the coach hired, I think they're finally going to talk this week, which is a, a good development, obviously, because there's there's been kind of, Mostly radio silence on the part of the Coyotes, which I don't think was was taken well from Connor Garland's camp. They wanted at least, a, hey, we're thinking about it. We'll get back to you. And, and that really didn't happen up until this point. I think they're going to talk this week. The arguments that I hear against uh, for trading Connor Garland are these. He's 25. We just talked about this with Dvorak. Is he going to be a guy who's around when you finally, when your timeline hits? Is he going to be an effective player still? I don't know. We look at some of the metrics and it suggests that guys are leaving their primes at 28 or 29 now in the NHL. I still think some guys can play till 30, 32 Connor Garland. Again, he's an exciting player. So you got to weigh that and the return that you might get for him because he might be the most attractive trade chip that you have on the market right now. Um, the, the other side of this that I hear this a lot and I don't know how you guys feel about this. I keep hearing you can't have, Clayton Keller and Connor Garland in your top six. You can't have those two small guys in your top six. I, I cringe a little bit when I hear the size thing. I get some of the argument, but I, I hear that a lot. I'm wondering what you guys think about that. Well, look at Montreal. I mean, I think you've, you looked at a small forward group there that seems to be doing just fine. And across the league, it's, it's not the same as it, as it used to be. Granted, you can't have nine forwards that all play the same style. I don't even talk about size. We'll talk about how they play in that same style. I get that. Um, but there's definitely room for those two kind of players. The, the difference is they need to have a Clayton Keller that plays better than he played last season. That's the Clayton Keller they need. And then there's plenty of room for both of them. Um, the way Clayton Keller played last season, inconsistent, wasn't able to produce offense uh, regularly, couldn't get to the, the front of the net, can't get to the sweet spot in the scoring area. He has to improve in all those areas if he wants to play in the, you know, the top six, the top two lines here. So I think there's room. I, I don't buy that argument at all. There's size isn't, isn't what it used to be in this league. It, it speed is more important. Speed and skill is more important than size. Yeah. I'm with that. I mean, I, like Petey just said, I don't, I don't want to build an entire team of smaller players because you'll get beat up in a seven game series, but you can have a couple up front as long as they play the way they're supposed to play. Connor Garland plays big. I mean, I know he's a small guy, but he plays big. And I just think you go down a dangerous path. PD sort of alluded to it right there. You're going to get rid of Connor Garland because Clayton Keller underachieved last year. Like that's, I, 
And, and I mean, that's, that's a really dicey proposition. You're going to get Garland for less than Keller makes too. And, and the thing is, you know, to your earlier point, Craig, does he fit your timeline? I mean, I, I would just say you never know in the NHL. And, and if you're telling me, I mean, worst case scenario is you sign him for four years. And when you, you start to really get good, he's 29. A, Garland's already proven to be a unique player. Like, I mean, there are guys in this league who play till they're 40. I'm not saying he's going to play till he's 40 and be good, but I think he'll still be good when he's 29. And even if he's not getting better at that point, he's a guy I'd like to have around. And that's worst case scenario. I mean, what if, what if he helps you go on a run in the next year or two and things turn around quicker than you're anticipating? I, I, I'm not trading him unless, unless Boston comes knocking at my door with a, just a monster offer. Connor Garland doesn't have as much NHL mileage on his body either. So there's, that's something to think about. Um, and then I want to just go to, to, to wrap up, put a bow on this. Two things that you've mentioned on the last two podcasts, Luke. First of all, if, if you're going to be looking three, for three, four years out the road, what, what is the impact in your locker room right now of, of moving a guy like this out? You can say, okay, we, we want to stink. We want to strip it down, but like who's, who's around to show these guys the way? So that when you come out of that, you know, that on the other end of that timeline, they actually know what the hell they're doing when they get there. Connor Garland is incredibly competitive. Like you said, PD, he lives hockey. He does. Like, like these stories that I write on his offseason every year, there's such detail. There's such thought that goes into that. This guy is such a professional. He's so competitive. Aside from the fact that he's so interesting to watch, you want that guy around. You want this guy in your locker room to show these guys what it looks like to be a pro. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that he, he you have a guy that thinks like a vet, and maybe that's the path he's had to take to get here, but he's also only 25, so he relates to the other guys in the locker room, and you know this, and you guys both know this. He's, uh, you know, he's somebody that those guys in that locker room really like. Like, he's a, he's a glue guy on this team in addition to being somebody – that produces offense, which has been an issue and, and works just tirelessly every offseason at finding new ways to produce the offense. I just think he's one of the guys that you're almost, you, you want to be building around. You know, he's, he's not Jacob Chicker and he's not that, but he's, he produces offense and he brings a lot of other intangibles to the table that I think you're going to need in the next couple of years. Yep. And that's, you can't, like sometimes you can go out and get those guys, but you never know what you're getting when you go out and try and get like a character guy for your, your team that has been in, in the Eastern Conference or whatever for the last three years. And you, he doesn't know any of your guys. You know, Garland fits specifically with your team. Uh, okay. Two more. Oliver Ekman Larson. Where are we? Well, trying to trade him, him being open to a trade. We've talked about all this already. I mean, they, they're, they're, permitted to go out and explore trades with with a lot of teams a lot more than last last offseason when it was just Vancouver and Boston I mean he's not going to Winnipeg or some of these lesser markets but he's open to a trade to a lot of places but can they move him can they move that salary in in a flat cap era when he's due to make 10.5 each of the next three seasons to me you know there's the dream scenario that you okay you move him for a, a similar player you know who's got a similar contract rather uh, maybe not as much term and then you you think oh we can get something out of that guy that's that's your best case scenario or maybe even you you move him to a place like Edmonton where Dave Tippett thinks he can you know uh, engineer this renaissance in Oliver Ekman Larson's game. That's the ideal scenario. I don't see that happening. I think what's going to happen if they move him is they're going to have to retain a really good chunk of salary. And I don't think Coyotes fans should expect much in return for Oliver Ekman Larson. The big gain for the Coyotes here is moving that salary out. That's what they're trying to accomplish. Anything beyond that is probably gravy. 
I think last year you probably could have seen seen Oliver Ekman Larson get moved to the Vancouver Canucks at the end of that that little window when he possibly could have been moved. But again, I think management looked at the deal coming back and said it's not enough. Um, it's going to be less this year. Um, his season wasn't wasn't what it was two years ago. I, there's so many problems here. You can't keep telling a guy we don't like you, we don't want you here. Please leave. And then two months later, go, hey, welcome back. Let's have a great year. You can't do it. You, you can't do it year after year to the kid. Um, Oliver has good hockey left in him. He's a good hockey player. He's smart. He plays hard. He wants to win. Competitive. Again, locker room loves him. I mean, he, he he's a guy you want to have on your team. My gosh, is he expensive for a team that probably isn't going to win right now. That's a, that's a big, big check to write every, every two weeks. So, would you like to move them? Sure. You know, the great scenario is a team that's on the up and coming and on the rise, potentially winning a cup, takes Oliver. They'll take all of his salary. They'll give you a first-round draft pick. The Coyotes win. Oliver wins. And the team that gets him wins. It's not going to happen. I mean, Coyotes are going to have to retain salary. They're not going to get what they want in return. And Oliver, if he leaves, let's hope it's a situation where he can play well again. And I know there's teams out there that if he doesn't have the role he has with this team, he can be an effective player. He just hasn't been slotted in the right place. Now, having said that, maybe the change in coaches is what he needs. Maybe that sparks him here in Arizona. Maybe there was, you know, a, a, a different style, a different approach inside the room or the coach's room that, that brings Oliver back to where he's been in the past. I, I don't know. I, I feel really bad for Oliver these last few years because he hasn't played up to his expectations. The organization wants more. He wants more. And now here we are all stuck, you know, two years of, of trying to get rid of him. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how he comes back and plays for this team again this fall. I just, I don't know how that can happen. Yeah, okay. it would be. How much it, it is that would, in you as a player when you're hearing, we don't want you. We don't want you. As a player, how much is an employee? It, you know, the listeners, if your boss tells you every day, we want you to leave, go find another job, go away, go work for somebody else. And then and they get, say, go oh, go out and perform. Yep. Exactly. Well, while you're here, go out and perform to and your And be back. happy here. And be happy here. <laughs> yes. It's yes, hard. Like, it's like George Costanza in that old episode of Seinfeld where they tell him to leave Play Now Industries. He's like, but if I stay, I get the whole thing. <laughs> I think, look, I'm always nervous when you're selling low. I don't know much about the, uh, the stock market, but I know you don't want to, you don't want to buy high and sell low. And, and that's, that's risky. But I mean, there's, there is certainly benefit if the coyotes can get out from under that contract. I get that. But I, I do agree with what PD said in the right situation. There's definitely a scenario where the coyotes trade him and then he thrives somewhere else. So just be ready for that. Like I, I know that people are like, Oh, his career's over. He has not been great the last few years. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend that he has, but there's absolutely a scenario where the Coyotes trade him and he's very, very good somewhere else instantly. I just, he hasn't been able to do it here and it hasn't just been a few weeks or a few months. I would be interested to know what, uh, what, what Tarani thinks of him. Like if he looks and he's like, Oh yeah, this guy would fit perfectly in, in, in what I want to do. I think you at least have to consider that, but the contract right now kind of overrides everything. And we're talking about a guy that leads every single defensive category for this franchise. Like, we're not talking about, he's just an okay player. He, he's a, his name's going to be in the ring of honor someday at Gila River. So this is a big deal. Um, if, if, if the new coach can come in here and stroke him and pet him and, and say, Hey, you're the guy and we need you to lead us through this, you know, dark times, maybe that's enough. I, I don't know, but it's going to have to come like, 
if if he gets through this process without being traded, there's going to be a pretty nice dinner with Billy Arms, Bill Armstrong, um, Tournier, and uh, the ownership group, and they got to go out and wine and dine all over and say, "Hey, here's where we're at. We still love you." Has to happen, um, and maybe. Maybe he does have a resurgence or a renaissance. That's great. Great word, by the way, Craig. That's the journalist in you. That's amazing. Oh, you know, it's a French word too. So wow. French, I'm dropping more and more of those in. Here's the thing that you mentioned too. I think Oliver needs that kind of coach. So if if they're looking at trade scenarios, like if Kevin Epp is looking at trade scenarios, that's something that, that I would consider. You can't send Oliver to a place where he's going to play for a taskmaster. He needs, I think he needs that kind of coach that is going to stroke him, that is going to tell him he's important on a daily basis. And look, you can poo-poo that and say, oh, it's your job to, to uh, perform no matter what. But a coach has to understand that he has different personalities on his team and work within that. So, I, again, I, I think that's something Oliver needs. And if, if, if they're going to move him – I, I hope Kevin Epp is looking at that sort of situation as well, because that's, to me, is the situation under which Oliver could thrive again. Yeah, it's reality. You're right. There's always that pushback of like, oh, you're a professional. You shouldn't need that. Well, but he does. So you maximize the your asset, right, and live in reality. It that's put the him phrase in his- right there. Maximize the asset. That's it. Yeah. Um, I'm doing a lot of stock market terms. I don't even know if any of them are, are fitting. Yeah, God, I admire you. Look at this! Look at this spacious closet I'm recording from. Where, by the way, it is 190 blurred degrees. Again. Oh, why is it blurred? How do you do this? It's I never know where you really are, Luke. You you could be in the next room from me right now. <laughs> I'm I'm your new neighbor in Monterey or wherever you are I'm across the street. Well, wouldn't that be great, Petey, if I walked into frame behind Craig and was just like, "Hey, buddy!" Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, maybe that's it. We should, are we going to do this from a studio someday? Are we all going to get in the same room? Well, that's yeah. we keep talking about it, Luke. Is I, I think. I Just think saying. we can do this. We all have to be here, though. We, it can't, Craig can't be gallivanting across the, the globe because otherwise he's not here, by the way. I, I, I suspect that's why it's blurred, Petey. He's probably in the studio right now. He probably uh, is. Work, 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 work. Hardest work on radio. He is. Um, last one, Darcy Kemper. I know he's come up a few times. I don't think anybody wants to trade him in, in the sense that, I mean, your team is obviously much better with him. But given everything we've said, if there is a youth movement, this is a guy you should be able to get something for. You should have been able to get something from Colorado, who'd probably be playing in the Stanley Cup right now, although probably losing to Tampa anyway. But um, at the same time, you're not getting a first-round pick for a goalie in 2021. Yeah, and uh, if we can beat that drum some more. Why Colorado wasn't willing to give that up is beyond me. And look, I'd, I'm not saying Philip Grubauer was the reason the Avs lost, but he was one of the reasons in that series as it progressed. He was he was worse and worse, and he's a free agent now, so they probably still need to re-sign him. But I think, Peter, you said this on the last pod. Darcy Camper is the kind of guy who probably wins you a game in that series, and maybe that's enough to get you over the hump against Vegas and get you into the cup final against Tampa. I, I still think it's crazy that a coach will, or a GM won't give up a late first-round pick for a goalie who can get you a cup. But I, that has been the market. You can't get a first-round pick for a goalie by and large. That said, Darcy Kemper has a market, and if you're really looking to strip this down, if you're really looking to get a higher pick in the next two drafts, you probably don't want Darcy Kemper in goal. Wow, I hadn't thought of it that way. See, I'm looking at it from the try-to-win games. I didn't look at it from the management side trying to get a better draft pick. Darcy Kemper is a guy, his stock probably fell a little bit during the season. He was hurt a lot of the season. He was in and out. His numbers weren't great. When he came back, he didn't have the same spark that he had earlier in the year. So when the season ended, you're going, 
he's not going to command much in the trade market. Then come the world championships. Um, and again, it looked like, oh, goodness, he's, he's not playing well here either. Um, but lo and behold, goals on wins, wins the gold medal. He's the guy. Um, that's enough to help your, your, your market rise, you know, so yes, he can command more. This is the time. And just for the reasons you said, Craig, if I'm a fan, I want to see Darcy Kemper here. He's a number one. He competes. He plays hard every single night. He does give this team a chance to win and you're still going to have to play. And so goodness, you'd like to have a chance to win, but if you're going to be bad, you might as well be bad. Yeah. Um, if you can get a good draft pick back or a prospect or a guy that can help you out play a little bit, he is going to command as much or more than any of the five people that you just mentioned. Yeah, that world championship was probably really important for Darcy Kemper, probably important for the Coyotes if they're looking to move him because he was an elite goaltender once they hit the the, the uh, quarterfinals or even earlier than that. I mean, his numbers were fantastic. He was he was a big part of them winning the gold medal there, so that probably helped him. It, look, I know a lot of people wanted to see Aiden Hill play late in the season, and you can probably make an argument that based on the way Darcy was playing, Aiden should have been in there more. But again, it's like it's like the backup quarter argument, quarterback argument you hear all the time in the NFL. Oh, it's the, it's the next guy. Look, he he's given he's shown something in small doses. Well, let's see what he can do with a big sample as, as the number one guy. And I am curious because Aiden has shown a lot. He's shown some potential. I'd like to see him in that situation. But again, Darcy Kemper is the better goalie in the NHL right now. And that's not just uh, an opinion from one or two coaches with the Coyotes. That's league-wide opinion. And when Team Canada had to decide who they were going to put in net, they didn't put Aiden Hill in net. They put Darcy Kemper in net, and they won a gold medal. So he still has a lot of market value out there. And it's interesting to see what teams on paper could use a Darcy Kemper. And you brought up Colorado. You look at these other teams that are, you know, close. Vegas. Vegas doesn't need any help goaltending. Boston depends on what Tuka Rask does coming back. I mean, there's to find a team that's close to winning the cup or making that next step that has room for another goaltender. There aren't many teams that fit that scenario. I mean, Minnesota Wild is one. I didn't love their goaltending. I know Cam Talbot played great down the stretch, but I still think they need goaltending if they want to get to that next level. So maybe that's a team. Um, St. Louis clearly was unhappy with their goaltender this season, um, but they're kind of married to Bennington for a little bit. So, I don't think St. Louis is on the downslope anyway as a team. I really do. Yeah, so I still think there there's places for Darcy Kemper to go, and I think he can bring a return, and you could be looking at Hill Prosvitov as your tandem in Arizona for the next couple of years. I, I mean, Carolina and Edmonton are two more teams that I think about that could use. Oh, see, that's what you do what you do. It's <laughs> Edmonton, that's, again, <laughs> Mike Smith didn't live up expectations in the playoffs. Great. You're on top of it, Craig. Craig, yeah. what do you think of, about a team like Pittsburgh? Or are they happy with the hologram of Tristan Jari in that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> the Penguins. Is their window still open, Luke? I don't know. I mean, they keep they keep going on these runs during the regular season, but then they play with an empty net during the playoffs, and it makes it tougher for some reason. We're going to have to talk about this next time because we're talking about these coaches on a short leash. And you look at Pittsburgh's window. Man, if it's open, it's just barely open because they do have that strength up the middle. But then you got to start talking about is Mike Sullivan's job. Um, is he one of the guys that needs a quick start uh, out of the gate next year to keep his job? It's We'll talk about it next time. Luke, when you you tweet this uh, podcast out, the hologram of Tristan Jari will certainly be uh, in um, in the chatter line when I try to promote it. (laughs) 
It can't be the title of this podcast because it's just too far off topic from what we discussed, but the hologram of Tristan Jari is a spectacular line. Okay, that's good. I look forward to that. It also sounds like a mystery movie, but that's, as, as Petey just said, another story for another time. All right, we made promises we were going to keep this under an hour, and I think we did it by about two minutes, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it right now. Craig, enjoy your uh, your. I don't know if you've gone on a new vacation within your vacation since we started recording, but enjoy all your vacations. Petey and I will keep working hard here where it's 150, and uh, everybody have a good time. For Craig Morgan and Steve Peters, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.